Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast for giant nerds by giant nerds. I'm Jack Parsons. And I'm L. Ron Hubbard. Teleportation butt magic is back. You know, that joke wasn't even a host of this podcast. It was Anthony's joke in our live episode. Well, it's our joke now. It is one of my favorite things to come from this. (laughs) (laughs) I still haven't... I need to find someone who will do a teleportation butt magic design uh, in like a My Little Pony style. Oh, God, please. So we can do stickers. Yes. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to have a totally unexplained sticker that says teleportation butt magic on their laptop? Other than Emily. I don't know. I just want it in like pastel bubble letters with like a rainbow and some clouds behind it. That would be cool. So today, on a very special afternoonified, we are going to explore something so balls to the literal wall weird that I don't even know how to write an intro for it. Except the intro that I wrote right then. Uh I am going to try to detail the backstory and circumstances surrounding the Babylon working, which was a series of magical rituals performed in California during the winter of 1946 by Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard. Oh boy. Their goal was to summon the biblical figure, the Whore of Babylon, and later a being known as the Moonchild, with Jack Parsons' intent presumably being to bring on the apocalypse. Oh, that's what he was trying to do. Yeah, but like the Crowley apocalypse, so it's like fun times. I'm not familiar. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I know. I will. Okay. Um, You know, it's weird how when Jack Parsons is trying to commune with a spirit based on a fictional book, it's weird. But when Catholics do it, it's fine. <laughs> so, you know, just take that into this. <sighs> All right. So Babylon. Uh, the mystical goddess that Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard ultimately hoped to conjure in the first half of their working was mostly the creation of English occultist Aleister Crowley. That guy. Who was inspired by Babylon, an entity in the biblical book of Revelations. He claimed Babylon was, or at least represented, Earth itself. The Bible has some different things to say about Babylon, and none of them are nice because... Because it's the Bible. It's the Bible. <laughs> Uh, So I am going to read an extended excerpt from Revelations chapter 17, verse 1 through, I don't know, I kind of jump around a little bit. Oh, flooding the Bible in the show always makes me nervous. (laughs) But it's the book of Revelation, so it's... So the cool part. The cool part of the Bible. Like I said, Revelations chapter 17, verse 1. Uh, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated by the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel came, carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished, and then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mysteries of the woman and the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. (laughs) I like how the angel was like, why does this not make fucking sense? Do I need to explain it? (laughs) This this is weird, weird to you? Yeah, so then the angel explains the beast, which is some business with kings and kings with no kingdoms. And then we pick up at verse 15. The angel said to me, the waters you saw where where the prostitute sits are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked, and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of earth. And so on and so forth. 
It could be implied by the phrase great city that uh, means civilization or life forms or whatever you want to read into that. There's also some theory that it just means the city of Rome, which at the time of this uh, book's writing was the big city. So this is generally just kind of one big metaphor for something. Yeah. Um, like Babylon is the big, it'd be like, it's like Las Vegas where all of the nasty stuff happens and all the fun stuff, you mean. It needs to be burnt to the ground. <laughs> so Babylon really just represents the fun people. Gotcha. Um, but Revelations is very open to interpretation, and it only really exists because they needed a strong closer for the Bible. <laughs> a good season finale, if you will. <laughs> no, exactly. They were like, well, it needs to have like a come to Jesus chapter at the end. Like we can't just let it go with whatever the fuck came before this. So they basically read uh, like books that other people had written and were like, that's the one. That's the one we're going to close this with. That's another show. Hmm. All you really need to know is that the beliefs to which Parson ascribed believed Babylon to be the personification of wisdom. According to this system, she played a pivotal role in the creation of both the universe and humankind. Uh, the myth claims she birthed many evil beings while trapped in the underworld. Uh, one of these beings was the demi... I didn't look up how to pronounce this before I started. Demiurge. Sure. Uh, it created the world and all of its evil qualities. Uh, Babylon helped return light to the world, and when the demiurge... Demiurge created Adam, she concealed the first man's consciousness, only returning it to the world through the first woman, Eve. She is chill in these belief systems. Eve is, you mean? Uh, Babylon. Babylon. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, the moon child. I say, uh, if like I sound really quiet, it's just because I'm trying to process this is yeah, a lot. it's a lot. <laughs> so the moon child or Babylon working ritual itself, as far as I can tell, was from a fictional book, also a fictional book. Mm. Um, written by that dirty, dirty, dirty bird, we stand so hard, Aleister Crowley, <laughs> who wrote a couple of fictional novels in his day when he wasn't busy doing all of the drugs and taking it up the butt in the name of Thelema. So did he write these as, like, religious texts, or no, he was just it just, like, as... just for fun novel? Just for fun novels. Okay. They were his Harry Potter. Right. But Parsons took them seriously. Yeah. But uh, Thelema, incidentally, uh, was a religion founded by Crowley that essentially rested on the tenet of do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This means that adherents of Thelema should seek out and follow their true path or their true will. So do whatever the fuck you want. It's do fine. whatever the fuck you want. Um, they also like had the caveat, like as long as it doesn't like fuck things up for other people. Right. Because then they can get revenge. Do whatever you want, but don't be a dick. Yeah. Yeah, we covered it a little bit in Satanism. Yeah, I remember that. Where they're, they're the, like commandments, essentially. Yeah, the summary is stay in your own fucking lane. Um, so aspects of Thelema and Crowley's whole deal in general have inspired the development of Wicca and to an extent the rise of modern paganism as a whole, as well as chaos magic and Satanism, like I said. Um, some scholars also believe that Thelema was an influence on the development of Scientology. You think? It definitely was. L. Ron Hubbard ripped off parts of this religion for his own uh, <laughs> financial gain, basically. I Yeah, essentially. Scientology only existed to make money. Sorry. Don't apologize. Uh, I mean, I, we'll, we'll get sued if any Scientologists hear this, but I mean. This is going to sound insane, but I've had so much computer trouble at home and at work since I started researching <laughs> this and being mean about Scientology that I genuinely think I have some kind of, like, uh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, Miscavige has, like, put a curse on me. That's possible. Uh, so, the fictional book. Not the Bible, but Moonchild. Um, I did not have enough time to read the entire thing. I did read enough to know that it is fine it is not particularly well written was alistair crowley not a good writer he was fine like it was hunger games level like this is okay okay i'd watch a movie based on it like for sure but reading it was just kind of like eh. i feel like i'm gonna get more hate for saying the hunger games was fine than i ever will for anything i'm about to say about scientology <laughs> um so i found 
the simplest summary possible. Broke it down to a paragraph. Oh, wow. That's a... I mean, it's not still a long for a summary, book. that's... Dense. It's not a long book. Um, so the story follows a woman who is caught between two sects of magicians uh, prior to World War One. So this takes place before World War One, which is when Crowley wrote it. So um, one group of magicians is are white magicians and the other are black magicians who are organized into lodges or groups also labeled black and white. So the black lodge and the white lodge. Uh, they are at war with one another. Um, and the white lodge wants to improve the human race by creating the moon child, which is the quote soul of an ethereal being born into mankind unquote. Using arcane sex rituals, the girl becomes pregnant with the moon child, despite all attempts by agents of the Black Lodge to prevent it. The moon child is then used by the White Lodge to fight the Black Lodge. However, at the end of the book, the White Lodge ends up supporting the Allied powers and the Black Lodge supports the Central Powers, which, if you know anything about World War I, is crazy. Wait, that, no, that makes sense. The good, then the... Aren't the Allied powers the... Nope, the Allies are the good guys. Well... I mean, it was World War One, so everyone was fighting for stupid reasons, but allies were like England and France and the United States. Okay, eventually. so I guess it's not as fucking buck wild as like this summary made it out to be. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a twist at the end that suggests the Moonchild may not be what the White Lodge, um, the White Lodge in the book uh, had like made it out to be. It's evil. Right. Anyway, so that's that's the Moonchild. Um, I will say this. <laughs> The Moonchild is a work of fiction, but the characters in it are all thinly veiled references to Crowley's real-life friends, and the main character is 110% a self-insert. Of course it is. He basically wrote fan fiction about himself. Yeah. Uh, it's rumored that he even tried... He wrote, like, Tina Belcher-level erotic friend fiction. <laughs> That's exactly what he was That's, doing. Yeah, 100%. Good for him. It's rumored that he even tried the ritual himself, which makes it even better that he remarked on Parson and Hubbard's attempts with, I'm fairly frantic when I contemplate the idiocy of these louts. <laughs> idiocy because they were trying to do a ritual that he made up for a book or idiocy um, like he really thought they were going to succeed and it was a stupid. I, I'm not sure. Crowley was kind of an enigma wrapped in a mystery and when we eventually get around to doing a Crowley episode like maybe I'll figure that out but I think the way that it was framed was kind of like a, these fucking guys. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like, but. I had a way bigger section about this planned, but I figured um, some other stuff was more important. Uh, but you, not you specifically, Sarah, but you, the listener, may notice some similarities uh, between the plot of Moonchild and the lore of the greatest TV show ever produced that wasn't by Dan Harmon, Twin Peaks. Interesting. Community. I'm talking about community, not Rick and Morty. I just... I'm glad you clarified. need you guys to know that. Uh, really? Yes. Um, this is namely, what Twin Peaks ends up being about. Sort of. Uh, namely, the Black Lodge, White Lodge, um, and a couple of the characters, including, like, a character as that is a member of the Black Lodge that is a giant and a small man that is, quote, surrounded by music. They're also included in the Black Lodge sequences of Twin Peaks as, like main characters it is really hard to explain yeah i'm not gonna make you elaborate i will have to watch it at some point um, maybe when it's i'm also, 40 it's also very heavily implied in the lore of the show and the uh ancillary books that i have also read um that hubbard and parsons little magic experiment is what caused the alien sighting at roswell which we'll actually talk about a little bit later However, this isn't a Twin Peaks podcast as much as I wish it could be sometimes. So that's this what we This is going to get there. wild, isn't it? I have a wild theory about how Audrey Horn's son is actually the moon child, but... Okay. Yep. Here we go. I'm watching Twin Peaks The Return right now, so... That's when they really get into all of this stuff, too. The nonsense stuff, yeah. Um. So anyway, <laughs> that was my caveat. I just really wanted to talk about that. So that's where the concept of the working came. Gotcha. And congratulations. We are a third of the way through my notes. Buckle up. Which is good, because we're only like 20 minutes into this. So perfect. So. <laughs> All right. Marvel Jack Whitesides Parsons was born on October 2nd, 1914, and quickly became a man after my own heart in terms of being a fucking big nerd baby weirdo. 
Uh, we've already talked about him a little bit in the Mad Scientist Live episode, but if you need a refresher, uh, Jack Parsons was a super genius in the area of rocket science and helped create and test a number of rocket fuels and other such sciencey things in the uh, like 1930s and 40s. Uh, he even co-founded Jet Propulsion Laboratory and Aerojet Engineering Corporation, which are big fucking deals. When we're saying, talking, are they still around? Um, I don't know. JPL might be, but it also might have gone under at some point. Um, but like in their time, for sure, they were. A in their time, big they were huge. Deal. Like if we didn't have Jack Parsons, we would not have the rocket technology that we have today. Um, he was integral in like most of the technology in that area that we use during World War One and World or World War Two. Gotcha. Sorry, yeah, and subsequent wars. He is a big deal. But because of what we're going to talk about, he is, like, for a very long time period, he was kind of left out of all of those histories because they were like, oh, shit, this guy was Slightly embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, also that. He's a huge pervert, but, like, a fun pervert. Um, so, in about 1939, Parsons converted to Thelema and leaned heavily into it. He had also dabbled in Marxism for a little while. Which also made people a little squicky. I mean, to be fair, I feel like this sounds like any big tech bro out at Silicon Valley who's just yeah. like. He was basically being like Elon Musk back in yeah, the 1930s. Like, at some level, you just are a big weirdo. And maybe they're not all into like the stuff Jack Parsons was into, but that's like a sign of the times more so than any yeah. evolution in our society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if. If Jack Parsons was alive today, he'd probably be into, like, crystals and meditation and stuff. Like, it's not that weird. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just a big old socialist. Jack Parsons would vote for Bernie Sanders. Um, anyway, so in 1941, with his first wife, Helen Northrup, Parson- Parsons joins... Parsons joined the... It's either Agape or Agape. Agape. It is? Yeah, that's a thing. Okay. Agape Lodge. Uh, the California branch of the Thelemite Ordo Templi Orientis, or the OTO, which, again, we talked about in our uh, Mad Scientist episode. Um, so after some time, Crowley made him a leader of the lodge in 1942. Like, Crowley was so impressed with this little motherfucker that he was like, yes, you're in charge. Um, he also wanted to unseat the current leader of the lodge, who I believe he told to go on a, like, pilgrimage out into the desert and do some weird shit. I don't recall exactly. But he was like, you go on this, and Jack, you take over. And Jack would have been in, like, his early 20s. Oh, damn. Yeah. Imagine if your local priest was in his early 20s. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, subsequently, Parsons was expelled from Jet Propulsion Labs and Aerojet in 1944 due to the Lodge's infamous reputation and his, uh, quote, hazardous workplace conduct, unquote, which included firing off of rockets willy-nilly and generally being erratic and weird. Like, he was brilliant, but he was that kind of, like, Doc Brown reckless Just brilliant. Just can't keep it together brilliant. Uh, yeah. He was Tony Stark. He was yeah. literally Tony Stark. <laughs> Or Howard Stark, I think, was actually sort of based on him. That makes sense, because didn't you say we wanted Dominic Cooper to play Jack Parsons in yes. the movie? Uh, apparently, they made a TV show called Strange Angel about Jack Parsons that went on for two seasons, mm. where he was not played by Dominic Cooper. A shame. Yeah, I got a script in the works. It's never going to get made, because they will never make a script with L. Ron Hubbard in it, but... Fair. Mm-hmm. All right. So he lost his job in 1944 um, because he was doing weird shit. But in 1941, um, when Parsons, Parsons' ex-wife, Helen, Helen's new boyfriend and Helen's younger sister, Sarah, who Jack had been having an affair with, uh, they moved into a mansion in Pasadena. Totally not weird. (laughs) Apparently, like, Helen went off on vacation and Jack started sleeping with her sister and then Helen got back and Jack was like, hey... I'm kind of more into your 17-year-old sister than I am to you. Is that okay? And she was like, uh, and she was like, yeah, that's fine. How old is Jack Parsons at this time? 1941. He would be, ba, 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 ba. he'd be 28. 
Okay, so that's still pretty problematic. Yeah, I mean, it's not great. It feels weird to apply the label problematic to Jack Parsons, but he wasn't perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, Helen was like, okay. Helen was like, no, that's, that's fine. Like, I don't care. So they s- technically stayed married until 1947 when Helen divorced him so she could marry the boyfriend. But it was fine. Everyone was fine. Right. Uh, Helen was not the reason Jack had a rough time with Sarah. <laughs> uh, so they moved into a mansion in Pasadena, you know, the most exciting uh, suburb of Los Angeles, um, with a bunch of other Thelemites from their lodge and lived communally in what became the new base of operations for the Agape Lodge. Uh, they maintained a garden for produce and raised and slaughtered their own livestock for meat as well as blood rituals. <laughs> Where did he do that in a mansion in Pasadena? He had a lot of land. Pasadena wasn't as built up back then. Oh, uh, okay. So it was kind of like a farm. Yeah, it was like a compound almost. Like it was, they had like a carriage house and all of that shit. Right. Okay. Uh, Parsons decorated his new room in the mansion with a copy of the Stele of Revealing, which is an ancient Egyptian painting, a statue of Pan, and his collection of swords and daggers. Oh my God. I deeply, deeply love him, Sarah. <laughs> Doesn't. Didn't, when you guys moved in, didn't Travis had some swords? Yes, we have a sword. It's just, <laughs> I was going to say, this is like every 20-year-old, or any guy, like, in his bachelor in his 20s. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we have a sword on the wall. It's, and I quote, a replica of uh, King Arthur's sword, uh, Excalibur. Oh, okay. I heard him say the word replica of Excalibur. <laughs> I was like, you mean the fictional sword? <laughs> He's watching Sherlock with headphones on, so he didn't hear me <laughs> snark about that, but... Oh, you love him. I do. Almost as much as Jack Parsons. <laughs> Almost. Uh, Jack Parsons is a little erratic for my liking, and he seems like he likes to go out a lot, which... Nah. Anyway, uh, Jack also converted the garage and laundry room into a chemical laboratory and often held science fiction discussion meetings in the kitchen and entertained children with hunts for fairies in the 25-acre garden. That's actually kind of sweet. Right? Did he really believe there were fairies? Yes. Less sweet. I mean, it's part of his religion. It'd be like someone be like, let's go look for angels. Yeah, I wouldn't think that was sweet either. Nah. Uh, after his firing from JPL in 1944... Jet Propulsion Labs. Uh, Parsons started a new company and used the money gained from that to buy the house and basically turned it into, like, he turned into a really nerdy Jay Gatsby, and the mansion slash compound became known as the Parsonage. Hey, what a great name. Uh, No, this bitch would walk around in, like, a velvet robe with a snake draped around his shoulders, like, introducing people and, like, that kind of shit. It's just, like, magic cosplay 24-7. Yeah, it'd be like if, um, oh, fuck, the guy that painted the soup can. Andy Warhol? Andy Warhol. It was like Andy Warhol's place, except for big fucking magic nerds. That's There is something very endearing about all of this. Like, it's weird, and I'm going to make fun of it a lot, but, like, yeah, it's just a for bunch them of- for, like, having a thing they were into and really committed. And finding their people and not hurting anybody. Right. Although, Hub- uh, not Hubbard, uh, Parsons was investigated- for selling uh, military secrets. He wasn't convicted or anything, but they were like, you're weird. You must be a spy. I can see how the U.S. government would jump to that conclusion. Especially in the 40s and 50s, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's where Parsons is right now. Like, running his compound with a snake around his shoulders, like, doing sex magic and just having the best time. You do you, Jack Parsons. With his, like, hot pre-goth goth girlfriend, Sarah, and his ex-wife, and it's great. All right, so L. Ron Hubbard, or Lafayette Ronald Hubbard, was born on March 13th. That's what the L stands for? Lafayette, yeah. I never knew this. He's named after his grandfather. Jesus. Uh, He was born uh, March 13th, 1911. And if I'm not mistaken, this episode comes out right around his birthday. Oh, happy birthday, L. Ron. No. No, No. let's not wish. No. Um, He was born in buttfuck nowhere, Nebraska, and grew up in Montana. And, like, traveled around because his dad was in the Navy. So Hubbard, who did a lot of lying about his upbringing, um, did some L. Ron Hubbard stuff. But what you need to know for the purpose of this podcast is that he was formerly in the Navy. 
during World War II. And he was already married to a woman named Polly Grubb, who had not heard from him in many years. And he was a Western and science fiction writer who wrote things with titles like Buckskin Brigade and Tommy the Town Tamer and Hot Lead Payoff. Sounds like some New York Times bestsellers. Hot Lead Payoff? So this was before all the Scientology stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, This actually kind of gave him the juice to start writing Dianetics. Oh, cool. I know too much about L. Ron Hubbard at this point in my life. I was going to say, I feel like knowing anything about L. Ron Hubbard is just a little too much. I know everything. (laughs) Um, I did listen to the last podcast series about L. Ron Hubbard, which is four or five parts. That's um, so much. That's I've listened so to it about to learn. I've, I've listened to it about four times at this point, so that's where I am mentally. Um, okay, so Parsons had begun letting rooms in the parsonage to non-thelemites, and once you fucking know it, Hubbard showed up, and Jack quickly fell in brain love with him. <sighs> Just two nerds. Here's nerdy. the thing: Elron Hubbard was a doughy jackass, but. As much as I hate to admit it, he was very intelligent and charismatic. Oh, well, yeah, that's usually how you start a cult. Yeah. Um, to quote Parsons as written in a letter to Papa Crowley, mm. Although no formal training in magic, spelled with a CK, he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. For some of his experiences, I deduce he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He is the most uh, thalamic person I have ever met and is in complete accordance with our own principles. Jack loved him. Gotcha. Also, don't believe for one goddamn second what the Church of Scientology is telling you about how L. Ron Hubbard was sent in by the Navy to dismantle Parsons' group because they were doing black magic. That's the Scientology thread on it. I feel like Scientology kind of maybe swipes all this under the rug a little bit. They either don't talk about it or they tell people he was on a mission from the government. Of course. But that gallon-sized store brand Ziploc bag of wet pancakes not only participated in the (laughs) ritual, but even served as the scribe during it. So. Nerd. Um, I'm very proud of what I just called him, so if that could be our pull quote, I'm already cursed by Scientology anyways. <laughs> sure. So Parsons' brain boner was quickly deflated when Hubbard took advantage of the se- the Thelemites' belief in free love and started banging Parsons' girlfriend, Sarah. Ah, uh, rude. Um, listeners, do yourself a favor. Go ahead and Google Jack Parsons. Go ahead and Google L. Ron Hubbard. And go ahead and Google Sarah Northrup. And tell me... <laughs> Do you think a girl that hot should be with L. Ron Hubbard? I propose no. No. Sarah Northrop, you said? Yes. Uh, Sarah Northrop Hollister, actually. Okay. Oh, good. She spells her name the right way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's a picture of her in her Satan garb. Uh-huh. Very cool. Uh-huh. L. Ron, uh, Jack Parsons is a looker. L. Ron mm-hmm. Hubbard. Oh, here's a cool um, picture on Google Images where it's a split screen between him and Donald Trump, which is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why? Just this soft, pale, redheaded man in his 30s. Yeah. No, thanks. No offense to other soft, he pale, looks, redheaded okay, men. Okay, so here's a picture of him very young. And he kind of looks like, um, uh, the blinking on the name. He was in Star Wars. Uh, don't tell me he looks like General Hux. Yes. Drop that link into the chat. I need to see this. We're far enough past the premiere of Star Wars that I could, like, slip a small spoiler in here, right? Yes. General Hux saying, I'm the spy, is maybe one of my favorite moments in any Star Wars film. (laughs) It was very delightful. I love him deeply. Um, He is the worst. (laughs) But, all right. That top one in the header there. Okay. Yeah, a little. Like, if I was casting this movie, I would probably do, um... What is that actor's name? Oh, he's, uh, he's related to the guy that plays Mad-Eye Moody. Uh, yeah. Gleason. Uh, Dom Hall Gleason. Dom Hall Gleason. Yes, thank you. Uh, him and, uh, Dominic Cooper. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. And then Margot Robbie is Sarah Northrup. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's in everything these days, isn't she? She should be. We're seeing Birds of Prey tonight, and I have never oh, been nice. more excited. God damn it. L. Ron Hubbard was... A tr- no, that was in 1935, though. So No, I was going to say, this is him very young, so he's probably aged and gotten kind of puffy since then, at this point. 
Yeah, because further down in that article, there's a picture of him in Alaska in 1940, and, like, I don't know. It's hard to say. Ugh. I don't know. I'd still go with Jack Parsons over L. Ron Hubbard, I think, is oh, the longest short of that. Oh, 100 percent. Anyway. Ziploc bag of wet pancakes. Uh, sleeping with his girl. Anyway, so Jack tried to play it cool, but he became increasingly jealous and started devoting his energies to conducting black magic rituals causing concern among fellow OTO members who lived in the house, believing that it was invoking troublesome spirits and uh, causing problems in the parsonage. I guess sometimes at night you could hear Jack in his room just yelling, just yelling like magical chants and like doing um, like masturbation rituals. Very cool, Jack. He was taking it really hard. <laughs> Uh, Jane Wolfe, a member of the uh, the Parsonage, wrote to Crowley that, quote, Our own Jack is enamored with witchcraft, uh, the Humphort voodoo. From the start, he always wanted to evoke something, no matter what. I am inclined to think as long as he got a result, unquote. So they're concerned that he's doing too much magic. As they should be, probably. Maybe? <laughs> in December 19th. 19- I mean, in theory. Yeah, it- if you believe in that, then yes, he's doing a lot of damage. Uh, in December 1945, Parsons began a series of rituals based on Nanakian magic, during which he masturbated on magical tablets, accompanied by Sergei uh, Prof- Prokofiev's second violin concerto, which is, it's some intense music. That's a uh, who boy. Mm-hmm. So, here we are. <laughs> this is where it starts. 36 minutes into the episode, probably with about 10 minutes of me talking about L. Ron Hubbard's face that I'm going to have to cut. From January 4th to the 15th, 1946, Parsons and Hubbard engaged in a nightly ritual of incantation, talisman waving, and other black magic faithfully described in Parsons' diary as a conjuration of air, invocation of wand, and consecration of air dagger. With the same violin concerto blaring away, the two of them pleaded with the spirits for, quote, an elemental mate, a girl willing to go through sexual rites to incarnate, uh, sexual rites to incarnate Babylon, incarnate Babylon in the spirit world. So they are looking for a magical girlfriend <laughs> that will help them do the rites to produce the moon child. Oh my God. They are looking for someone to embody Babylon. In short... Jack Parsons is looking for a new girlfriend to replace the one that L. Ron Hubbard stole. Because if there's anything we know about men in their late 20s, this is it. This is exactly what they would do if they thought they could. Yep, yep. This all tracks. So the next bit is an extended, extended excerpt from Jack Parsons' actual journal. And whenever the scribe is mentioned, it's L. Ron Hubbard. Gotcha. January 4th, 1946, 9 p.m. Prepared and consecrated air dagger. The other magical weapons were previously prepared. This dagger served as the special talisman of the operation. Prepared Anakian air tablet on virgin parchment. Prepared parchment talisman. Ritual as follows. (laughs) Invoking pentagram of air. Invocation of bornless one. Conjuration of air. Consecration of air, of air dagger, key call of third air, invocation of God and king of air, invocation of six seniors, high school or otherwise, I don't know. (laughs) Invocation of one with material basis on talisman, invocation with dagger, license to depart, purification and banishing. So that was their first night's worth of work. That's quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know how long each one takes, but I have to just assume it was them in robes for hours. Just like, and when when we say invocation of like whatever, whatever, it's just them like chanting stuff, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. (laughs) I followed this procedure for 11 days from January 4th to 15th with the following entries in my record. January 5th, a strong windstorm beginning suddenly about the middle of the first invocation. So he did all of that shit every night for 11 days. Great. Um, Good use of his time. Yeah. So the second night they had a strong windstorm. January 6th, invoked as before. Windstorm continued intermittently all day and night. January 7th, invoked twice. Wind subsided. Used violin concerto. It's almost like weather changes. Yeah. Used violin concerto number two as musical background. (laughs) 
he had a playlist. <laughs> Just really like this concerto. Yeah, I mean, I'll try to figure out how to put a clip up on. Actually, let us both uh, take a listen to it. Sounds like the background for a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> Ken Burns, The Civil War. Jack Parsons, 1946. This is about what I was expecting. Yeah, maybe she, not as intense. She kind of takes off about two minutes in. Anyway, maybe I'll drop a clip in the episode while we're talking about it so it's not weird. Uh, so yeah, he used that as his musical background. Um, next entry. January 8th, invoked twice. I retired about 11 p.m. and was awakened at 12 p.m. by nine strong, rapid knocks. A table lamp at the opposite corner of the room was thrown violently to the floor and broken. There was no window in this corner and no wind was blowing at the time. Interesting. So, uh, poltergeist activity, basically. Uh, and then he adds a note. I've had little experience with phenomenon of this sort. Magically speaking, it usually represents, quote, breaks in the operation... In, uh, indicating imperfect technique. Actually, in any magical operation, there should be no phenomena but the willed result. So he's like, I think I fucked something up. <laughs> January 11th. Invoke twice, using blood. Maybe that'll make it work. January 12th. Invoke twice, a heavy windstorm. January 13. Invoke twice, windstorm continued. And here is my favorite part. January 14th. The light system of the house failed about 9pm. Another magician who had been staying in the house... And studying with me was carrying a candle. This is L. Ron Hubbard, by the way. Mm. Uh, was carrying a candle uh, across the kitchen when he was struck strongly on the right shoulder and the candle knocked out of his hand. He called to us and we observed a brownish yellow light about seven feet high in the kitchen. I banished it with a magical sword and it disappeared. His right arm was paralyzed for the rest of the night. Sorry, I'm just, I'm still laughing at the idea of just Jack Parsons carrying a sword all the way to the kitchen. And I think he just had it on him. <laughs> I'm imagining walking around the house. I'm, the I I don't have any confirmation for this, but what I'm picturing is Jack Parsons, tidy whities scabbard around his waist, <laughs> and then over that I feel like an open robe. Yeah, of some oh yeah, sort. no, an open like uh, red velvet robe. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, January fifteenth, invoke twice. In at this time, the scribe Hubbard developed some sort of astral vision. Describing in detail an old enemy of mine whom he had never heard of. And later... Was it L. Ron Hubbard? Probably. <laughs> and later the guardian forms of Isis and the Archangel Michael. Later in my room, I heard raps again and a buzzing metallic voice crying, Let me go free. I felt a great pressure and tension in the house that night, which was also noticed by the other occupants. There was no other phenomenon, and I admit a feeling of disappointment. Now, it's probably tense in that house because they had been doing magic for... 11 days right just never shutting up also i'm not entirely unconvinced the voice he heard wasn't like hubbard and sarah fucking with him <laughs> honestly that that would make a lot of sense well because we know hubbard is making his shit up oh for sure i don't know if he actually believed in this or he was just having fun a fun hobby yeah uh the feeling of tension and unease continued for four days then on January 18th at sunset, while the scribe and I were on the Mojave Desert, because, you know, you got to get out of the fucking house, <laughs> the feeling of tension suddenly snapped. I turned to him and said, it is done, in absolute certainty that the operation was accomplished. I returned home and found a young woman answering the requirements waiting for me. She is describable as an heir of fire type with bronze red hair, fiery and subtle, determined and obstinate, sincere and perverse, with an extraordinary personality, talent, and intelligence. So his magic girlfriend showed up. Yeah, that's the fucking weird part about this, is that it worked. Were there people coming in and out of the house quite a bit? I'll get to I that imagine. in a second. Okay. The fact that she is a redhead and the Bab the horror Babylon is also called the Scarlet Woman is a big mm. deal, though. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that ends the excerpt from his journal. Uh, when the pair returned to Pasadena from the desert, Marjorie Cameron, a redheaded unemployed illustrator and former member of the women's division of the Navy, was waiting at the house. Um, I have it on good authority that Parsons literally posted newspaper ads 
like looking for weirdos. So not uncommon for weirdos to show up at the house. Correct. Um, kind of like oh, good timing. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of like Fight Club, honestly. Yeah. It, so uh, Parsons and Marjorie Cameron hit it off immediately. Uh, so in late February, Marjorie went to New York for a visit, uh, and while Jack went back to the Mojave Desert where he played around with magic a little bit more. Thought he was possessed by the spirit of Babylon and wrote a very long proclamation from her that I'm not going to read because it is so long. It's not, yeah, and I'm, it sounds like nonsense, honestly. Uh, some people believe that this magic opened up a portal in the Mojave Desert uh, that. Mm-hmm. Oh no, is this one I'm. That allowed the be? alien craft scene in the Roswell incident to come through. But. Son of a bitch. Uh, it's probably not true. Mojave Desert is in California, right? Yes. Um, Roswell is Nevada. Like, I get that Bras- um, California and Nevada are right next to each other. But, like, I guess I guess if it's a flying spacecraft, it can travel some, t- some distance. Well, I also crashing. don't know where in the Mojave Desert he was exactly. Um, right. I'm also saying this as someone who doesn't believe the Roswell crash was an alien. But Well, we know. I'm just trying to track this. We know it wasn't a weather that balloon process. because those people have seen a fucking weather balloon before. Um, yeah, they're quite a ways away from each other. Also, this happened in 1946 and Roswell happened in 1947. Uh, that is more of a hiccup than the distance thing. Anyway, yeah, Roswell is um, a full state over. So, sorry, probably not Also, a thing. the time thing. Yeah. Okay. When Marjorie Cameron went to February, went to February, when she went to New York um, on a visit after she arrived, like, in the space between her arrival and when they started uh, doing the second part of the ritual, mm-hmm. uh, she discovered she was pregnant, and <gasps> the only person she had been with was Jack Parsons, <gasps> but she got an abortion. Oh. She didn't know what they were doing in her defense. So much for the moon child. Uh, they hadn't even started the moon child ritual yet, either. Oh. Okay. Um, So in early March, Parsons began performing sex magic rituals with Cameron, who acted as the, quote, Scarlet Woman, while Hubbard continued to participate as described, writing down everything he could. Awkward. Unlike the rest of the household, Cameron knew nothing at first of Parsons' magical intentions. A quote from her. I didn't know anything about the OTO. I didn't know what they, um, I didn't know that they had invoked me. I didn't know anything, but the whole house knew it. Everybody was watching to see what was going on. Despite this ignorance and her skepticism of Parsons' magic, Cameron reported her sighting of a UFO to Parsons, who secretly recorded the sighting as a a materialization of Babylon. So at this point, they still haven't told her what's going on. No. Cool. (sighs) Uh, So Parsons' account of the birth ritual is as follows. So this is like, they they have Babylon incarnate yeah and now they're going to try to make a moon child this is like the main event babylon was just the opener right it was a means to an end we need to invoke the babylon to have do the ritual to get the moon okay yes the scribe said as an opening statement i guess the year of babylon is 4063 she is the flame of life power of darkness she destroys with a glance she may take thy soul she feeds upon death of men Sounds cool. The scribe, now pale and sweating, rested a while, then continued. Because, you know, long sentence. (laughs) Hubbard further instructed Parsons, Display thyself to Our Lady. Dedicate thy organs to her. That's exactly what it sounds like, too. Uh, Display thy mind to her. Dedicate thy soul to her, for she shall absorb thee. Retire from human contact until noon tomorrow. Speak not of this ritual. Discuss nothing of it. Consult no book but thy own mind. Thou art a god. Behave at this altar as one god before another. Some delusions of grandeur. Uh, this is Hubbard here. telling this to Parsons. Yeah, but I mean, like, oh, for sure. But the thing being involved in it, both of them, like the thing with this magic and the thing with Crowley in general, is that when you're doing it, it's like I am like powerful and. You have, like, a Jafar complex. (laughs) On the third day, the ritual began four hours before dawn. Hubbard told Parsons, quote, Lay out a white sheet. Place upon it the blood of birth. Envision her approaching thee. Think upon the lewd, levacious things thou couldst do. All is good to Babylon. All. Preserve 
the material bliss. The lust is hers, the passion yours. Consider thou the beast rapping or raping. I'm not sure. Okay. Crowley's magic uh, and followers of Crowley's magic often used menstrual blood as a thing. So that's probably what they put on that sheet. Okay. Hubbard is watching all of this. Oh, I'm aware. This is like a pervert. (laughs) The climax, no pun intended, of the ceremony occurred the following day with Ron at the altar working his two subjects into a, quote, sexual frenzy. Oh my god, this is so uncomfortable all of a sudden. (laughs) Including choice phrases like, her mouth is red and her breasts are fair and her loins are full of fire. Real sexy. Parsons wrote the next day, Babylon is incarnate upon the earth today, awaiting the proper hour of her manifestation, and in that day my work will be accomplished and I shall be blown away upon the breath of the father. He then decided to tell Crowley what had happened. On March 6th, he wrote, BT dubs. I can hardly tell you or decide how much to write. I am under command of extreme secrecy. I have the most important, devastating experience of my life. Crowley was dumbfounded by the news of the incarnation ceremony. He wrote back, You have me completely puzzled by your remarks. I cannot form the slightest idea of what you could possibly mean. Which is Crowley for, What the fuck did you just do? (laughs) So, Jack was like, I'm done. And starts knitting the tiny onesie for the Antichrist that he thinks he brought into the world. (laughs) And after all this ended, Parsons sold the house with the caveat that he and Marjorie could continue living in the carriage house. He named a new head of the lodge and went into business with Sarah and Hubbard flipping yachts. Seems kind of anticlimactic after hella sex magic. Sarah and Ron ran off together on a boat with Parsons' money. And then it said that Jack Parsons went home, did a ritual that caused a storm that made Hubbard and Sarah come back. Give him his fucking boat back. (laughs) And then Parsons sued them both. Good for him. Uh, Hubbard later married Sarah. Ah, interesting. They had a child. There was a thing later where Parsons was trying to avoid divorce because he was getting fucking weird and he kidnapped their child and it was a whole thing. Holy mother of God. That's a, that's a part of the Jack Parsons story I wasn't aware of. Uh, we'll have to Hubbard did the kidnapping. Oh. Hubbard married Sarah. They had a daughter. And then Hubbard was starting to get weird, and Sarah was like, I think I'm going to peace out. And Hubbard was like, mm, bitch, no. And then kidnapped their daughter to try to blackmail her. Very cool. <laughs> Hubbard was a piece of shit. Yeah. Hubbard, uh, not Hubbard, uh, Parsons and Cameron were married and stayed married until 1952 when Jack was killed in a nitroglycerin explosion in his garage. That's, yeah, what happens when you play with nitroglycerin in your garage. Um, the explosion did not immediately kill him and did remove one of his arms, half of his face, and he was found barely alive and unable to talk. He died about half an hour later. Yikes. Cameron came to suspect that her husband had been assassinated and began rituals to communicate with his spirit. Moving to Beaumont, Texas, I think, she established a multiracial occult group called The Children, which de- dedicated itself to sex-, sex magic rituals with the intent of producing mixed-race moon children who would be devoted to the god Horus. The group soon dissolved, largely because many of its members became concerned by Cameron's increasingly apocalyptic predictions. That's good. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to do when your cult leader uh, starts going off the deep end. Um, I I believe between the ending of the Moonchild ritual and Jack's death is when he was investigated for espionage, um, and they were planning to move to Mexico like a month before Jack was killed. Ah, interesting. <coughs> and we know what happened to L. Ron Hubbard, so that's it. That's the Babylon working in, I hope it was cohesive. The coughing kind of ruined it, but. No, no, it all, well, I'm not going to say it made sense. That was, so Margaret never had a kid. Uh, yeah, Parsons. I think we can say. Uh, Parsons and uh, Marjorie never had a kid. So mixed results? I mean, Jack did find a groovy new girlfriend. I mean, he's got that going for him, and she seemed pretty cool until she went crazy. Uh, at least cooler than uh, the Sarah. Well, I guess Sarah and his ex-wife Helen both came to his funeral. Nice of them. Yeah, they were sisters. So, <laughs> yeah, he stayed friends with Helen. Like there was no bad blood there. Yeah, no, that seems fairly amicable. Um, 
Yeah, Sarah just got sucked in by that gross, gross, gross man. He, yeah, what did you call him? A uh, gallon size uh, bag, store and- brand gallon size Ziploc bag full of wet pancakes. Yeah, that is accurate. Finally got that out of my system. <laughs> this is brand new information for me, so this was interesting. Um, any questions? No, I mean lots of them, but none that you can answer. Fair enough. If uh, you, the listener, have questions, you can find us on Twitter at Afternoonified, uh, Instagram at Afternoonified, Facebook.com slash GetAfternoonified, GetAfternoonified.com, where we are also reachable by email at AfternoonifiedPod at gmail.com. On our website, you can listen to old episodes, you can buy some merch, um, you can donate, which is always super cool. And uh, don't forget to rate, subscribe, review, all of that stuff. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. I want to record an episode where I'm not sick. This has been like two months straight. Yeah, I got this weird cold that's like, it's mostly gone, but talking, and for, you talking talk for too for long hour. aggravated it. Yeah. Well, feel better, Emily. Oh, thank you. Um, Do we have any announcements or business or? Nah. Send in your show su- suggestions. Like, Oh, yeah. We are absolutely taking recommendations. Because eventually we'll run out of stuff that we can think of. That's cool. Well, we have very limited minds. Um, well, I'm going to go back to playing Stardew Valley. Excellent. Uh, good luck with that wine cellar. Yeah, and have fun with your chili. Oh, I always do. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. We love you. My name is Kaya. And I'm Marissa. And this is Well, Well, Why Not? Not. Join us every Monday as we discuss movies, science, technology, history. Sometimes I think about all the different things we talk about and they're not even categories. Because you know what? We're geeky. We're nerdy. So like every millennial, we started a podcast. Because that's what we need. More podcasts. Absolutely. Join us every Monday and listen to Well, Why Not? A podcast because. Just because. Just just really because we had this microphone. Well, why not? <laughs> For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below.